In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It's been a great third down defense the last two weeks. The Steelers have got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Spillane with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting downfield, intercepted. His first of the season, Jeff Heath comes away. Doctor is now in. Hey everybody, it is Earthquake. Just checking in with you on this Thanksgiving day. Want to let you know that TC and Frank are taking the day off, and we are giving you guys a best of episode. So you'll hear some past interviews with some of our great guests. TC and Frank will be back live on Monday from 2 to 4. Make sure you guys tune in live for all the Thanksgiving Day recaps. Here's a best of episode. Enjoy. He is the guru of Go, as I like to call him, the inventor of the system, the fast-breaking style of basketball. He brought joy to basketball fans over the years. He won an NBA championship with the Lakers back in 1980, and then 27 years later, he won a WNBA title with the Phoenix Mercury. And of course, college basketball fans remember his teams at Loyola Marymount. Those great teams there with Hank Gathers, Bo Kimball and company, and uh, he joins us now. We're talking about Paul Westhead. Paul, thanks for taking the time and joining us today. Uh, thank you, TC. My pleasure. Well, great to talk with you, my friend. And uh, I'm a former basketball coach as well. The system really uh, struck a chord with me where I actually used it with my high school teams. I thought you were way ahead of your game with that. It was a system that I tried to master. But as we know, Paul, you really need the personnel really to master that. Your system and that fast break style of basketball really made a dent with me and a lot of other high school coaches as well. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I hope that when you tried it, you had a long contract because many times... (laughs) Many times you get fired when you follow the the speed game and you play so fast. Uh, it's it's nice when it works, but when it doesn't work, you don't look good. And I think coaches like to stay away from not looking good. That is true. All right, so let's tell the story here and how you came up with the idea of the system. Well, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia. I, I played at St. Joseph's College uh, for Jack Ramsey and. You know, he was uh, the precision master. He did everything offensively and defensively, almost flawless. And when I started college coaching at LaSalle in Philadelphia, I thought I'd do something different. I, I wanted to try and experiment. And while I was coaching in college, I coached in the summers in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and the Puerto Rican players like to play fast, so uh, experimenting with them in the summer and coming back to LaSalle during the 70s in the winter, I put in my fast break system, and, you know, I was caught. I, I couldn't play slow after that. I had to shoot the ball within five seconds of every possession. So a lot of people don't realize, though, too, that you just can't implement a system like this. You really have to have the right personnel to do it. And I think what was, what was great is that you were able to recruit guys to fit into your system as well, too. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, you can have this great innovative uh, scheme and system, but if you don't have that right personnel, like you said, it could be short-lived. Yeah, you're right. Uh, 
and and in many of my jobs, uh, you know, NBA and college, uh, uh, I didn't have the right players, and I'd last a year or two and get fired. Uh, when I was at Loyola Marymount University, uh, I was able to acquire uh, a couple of my buddies from Philadelphia, Bo Kimball and Hank Gathers, and Corey Gaines transferred from UCLA, and I got Tom Peabody to transfer. So with about four new players, the system uh, worked because they wanted it to work. They wanted to play fast. Most young guys say they want to play fast, but when you practice for about a week, they're done. They don't want to do it anymore. When it comes to that, and you are conditioning, how does your conditioning change from some of the other coaches? And I would imagine that although you mentioned some of the Stars players, another thing important in that system would be you want to have a little bit of a bench or a deep as bench as possible so that you can keep fresh bodies coming in to keep up that pace for an entire game. Yeah, some some coaches who try and run will deploy the kind of a rotation five-on-five-off system uh, almost like ice hockey. I didn't do it that way. Uh, I programmed our guys that we could play eight players and just rotate a couple positions. Uh, sometimes we'd go deeper than that, but a lot of times we didn't. It's just a commitment. I mean, uh, I didn't do any stand-around half-court teaching where we would walk through how to play pick and roll. We ran through everything. So it was always the speed game, the speed game that we were teaching. So our players were very prepared to play 40 minutes nonstop up and down. Paul Westhead is uh, joining us. The uh, former innovative basketball coach has success, of course, in the NBA, winning a championship in 1980 with the Lakers. The WNBA won a title there. And, of course, his great teams at Loyola Marymount University as well. Paul, let's talk a little bit about that Lakers championship in 1980. Talk about that team, how you got that job, and then, unfortunately, coming off that championship, you lost the job the next year. Yeah, well, uh, I was fortunate to get the position because Jack McKinney from Philadelphia hired me as his assistant, Uh, and then he had a very serious bicycle accident, and early in the season – I had to take over, uh, not because they necessarily loved me. Back then, there was one assistant coach, so it was either me or the trainer. <laughs> so they, they said, all right, you have them. And then later in the season, I brought Pat Riley in uh, from the broadcast booth. He was uh, Chick Hearn's uh, color man. And, you know, we had we had just good players. We had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was, like, at his best then. And we had Magic Johnson as a rookie. And, as you know, Magic's career blossomed at the end of the year when Kareem was injured and he had Magic had to play center. And we won a championship with Magic scoring 42 points in the championship game and in my hometown of Philadelphia. Right. So talk about that following year. I mean, it had to be a crushing blow. You don't see many people win an NBA title and then get let go. What was behind all that? And and take us through that. Well, uh, you know, we had our ups and downs. It's hard to repeat. Uh, Magic was injured for a good bit of of the season. He had knee surgery. uh, And we never really got you know, it going again. 
but you know, uh, you know, I thought we were we were playing pretty good. We we're we we're literally into my third season. We were on a five game winning streak, and uh, Jerry Bruss brought me in and said, you know, uh, yeah, those those fateful words. Uh, we decided to let you go. We're going to make a change. So uh, I learned for the first time what it's like to get fired. And uh, the end of my career, I was fired 14 out of 20 times. So uh, I, I know what it's like. <laughs> and then insert Pat Riley. And again, I think it's uh, very interesting. A lot of people don't know that you brought Pat Riley in. Uh, and then and then Riley goes on to not only a, a great career coaching, but then you know as a uh, team president and general manager uh, as well too. So uh, yeah, we can thank yeah. Paul, we can thank uh, Paul Westhead for bringing in Pat Riley. Well, uh, again, it, the irony of this is it was mid-season. I didn't really have a lot of choices, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I got to know Pat because he traveled with the team and. And I knew he knew the league, and, and he was a very personable guy. So uh, uh, I took a chance, and he turned out that he he obviously is very, very good and has continued that as president of the Miami team. You mentioned Loyola Marymount, and we remember those teams, especially here in Vegas. And I'll, I want to get some thoughts about those battles against Tark and the Rebels as well, too. But I want to talk about when you went to LMU. It was not a household name at all, a smaller conference. But talk about getting that job and how you were able to recruit the players that you did. And like you said, bringing Bo Kimball and Hank Gathers from Philadelphia, getting Corey Gaines from UCLA to transfer, and making LMU into basically a powerhouse very, very quickly. Well, my experience in coaching over 50 years is that if you can accumulate the players, uh, it can work, uh, you know. So with Gathers and Kimball and Gaines and a young surfing boy down in uh, Corona del Mar, Jeff Fryer, uh, we were able to put together a group of young guys who just wanted to play their hearts out. And uh, we did have some some nice games against UNLV. Uh, I have to bring up to you, we, we opened the season in a in the NIT uh, at the uh, the Mac Arena, uh, and we're winning the game, and all of a sudden they stop because there's a bomb scare. Uh, didn't didn't fit real well with our team. You can't run the fast break if there's a bomb scare and people are running <laughs> for the exit. Uh, but but at the end of that season, uh, uh, they they did a in finally in the NCAA tournament, the uh, Tarkanians guys with Stacey Ogman and, uh, and company, they were too strong for us and knocked us out. Hey, two other guys I remember off, off of that team too is uh, Terrell Lowry and, uh, and Pierre Sturmer, who could light it up from distance as well too. And with that system, you have to have three-point shooters, right? Yes, you do. Uh, but more importantly, you know, and, and I saw the Lakers this year, they – uh, they could run a fast break pretty well at times. Like uh, uh, Anthony Davis, uh, when Miami would score, he would sprint the, the lane and they'd throw a lead lob to him and he'd dunk ahead of the defense. We did that routinely. But now that same player will shoot a 35-footer. I mean, Anthony Davis can, can shoot downtown with the best of them. 
we just wanted to shoot quick. We didn't really care whether it was a layup or a 25-footer. Now the game has spread out. It's not as fast, but, boy, they can shoot. I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Bo Kimball years ago, and I remember one of the things about him was that he still had a, a special place in his heart for Hank Gathers. For some of the people out there that maybe didn't get a chance to see him play, could you tell people a little bit about him? Because he was one of the big men who could really, truly do it all, and unfortunately we never got to see him uh, grow and play in the NBA. How good of an NBA player would he have been, and what was he like as a person? Well, I think he would have had a great career in the NBA. Uh, He would not probably have been like an all-star, but he would have been a 10 to 12-year veteran who averaged 12 points and 12 rebounds a game. Uh, As you know, in his junior year at LMU, he led the country in scoring and rebounding. So Hank was just one of those tenacious guys that just went down the lane and dominated. He would dominate with the ball. He'd dunk. If somebody shot on his team, he'd get the rebound and score back. Uh, I can remember we played LSU uh, down in Baton Rouge, and he had his first five shots blocked by Shaquille O'Neal. And there was a timeout, and Hank came over to us and said, get me the ball. Uh, and he then went on to score 45 points and 25 rebounds. So Gathers was unstoppable. That's what I remember most about him as a player. You know, Paul, I think probably obviously the toughest part that any coach would have to deal with, and you went through this with having a player, you know, die uh, that's on your team and just not only just integral part of your team, but just being just a great person like you mentioned – um, I just I can't even fathom how that would affect you personally. And then to go on later to have people basically say, well, maybe it was because of the system, because of the pace, because of the, the conditioning and everything you went through. Talk a little bit uh, about that because we know there were lawsuits that ensued with that. That just had to be a very, very rough time for you. Well, it was a rough time, but it, it was, because Hank was such a good young man and to see him die on the court right in front of us uh, for me, my family, and all of the team, uh, it was just a hardship that we'll never forget about. Uh, They had an unveiling of a statue for Hank uh, commemorating 30 years ago. it, it feels like three minutes ago, not 30 years ago. Uh, he was such a dynamic young man. Uh, so uh, I I felt for him and I felt for his family. And and he, he was so good to us and to me. I can remember uh, one time after a game, I was with my 12-year-old daughter, Juliet, and she had a crush on Jeff Fryer, so she'd wait for him to come out. And Hank came out first, and he walked right over to her and said, Hi, Julie, who's your favorite player? And she said, You are, Hank. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that really speaks of Hank Gathers, the, the young man. That he, he, he made you want to like him, and there were so many reasons to like him. So his passing, his death uh, just took everything out of us. Mm-hmm. 
Paul Westhead taking the time and joining us today. And Paul's got a new book called The Speed Game, My Fast Times in Basketball. It's available on Amazon. We'll touch on that here in a minute. And people remember the ESPN 30 for 30, the Guru Go. I thought that was just a, a phenomenal piece. But I want to – every time that – there's a documentary done. I always like to talk to the person that was involved with this or the story was about and get your opinion on this. What was it about that that, that did you agree with? Did, did it turn out how you wanted it to? What was your opinion of that documentary? Yeah, I thought they did a good job. Um, uh, there were some parts that they they cut out. Uh, they cut out uh, some uh, Things of me on on the streets of Philadelphia, uh, trying to to make it as a as a young player. Uh, you know, I was a I was a street player, and and I had out in L.A. Uh, I had my grandson with me, and they videoed a lot of shots with him uh, dribbling the ball and, and me trying to help him as a future street player. That's where basketball is really learned. And and they just said, well, we don't really need to do that. We 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 have what we want. So sometimes, uh, you know, the ultimate producers just pick and choose. And, and I felt unfortunate that they left out the part that I was a kid who grew up in the streets of Philadelphia. You know, I know TC mentioned before that when you went to Loyola Marymount that they weren't that well-knowing. You certainly put them on the map. I remember looking forward to that game against Oklahoma that year when they talked about how great it was going to be, and it certainly was one of the most exciting college basketball games that opened a lot of people's eyes. How did that game and just that season and that team help you from that point on recruiting and everybody and making Loyola Marymount somebody that all of a sudden went from a kind of unknown school to a team that everybody knew? Yeah, we, well, it is interesting. When when we first started the, the fast break system, we we couldn't get a game on TV uh, any which way. And then I remember ESPN said, well, if you could pay for the rights, we might put you on once or twice. And I think you had to pay, I don't know, $15,000 for their uh, equipment to come in. And then in our final year, you know, we were on all the time. So it just shows you that winning begins to turn the tide in your favor. And uh, and recruiting, you know, young men thought they wanted to come and play at LMU because of, of all the scoring. Uh, and we had enough good players that uh, we were going to sustain that for a while. And a nice campus to boot, too, right? Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful campus. <laughs> you know, it's a beautiful campus, but schools like Loyola Marymount, if you don't win, you won't get good enough players yeah. to win. So it keeps spinning around. No doubt about that. All right. Paul, I love the WNBA story. Obviously, WNBA close to my heart here in Vegas. But uh, many people thought that you couldn't run the system in the women's game. They were so wrong about that. Talk about that story. You coached Diana Tarazi, you coached the Phoenix Mercury, and you took them to a championship. And again, I want, I want to be in that huddle. I want to be in that opening day in that locker room of you talking to these women saying, hey, we're running the system. And I remember Corey Gaines was your assistant at that point in time. I remember him asking yes, you, he hey, coach, are we going to run with the women? You go, running the system, right? Okay, so I 
accept the job. And I fly into Phoenix for the press conference and then to start practice. And who meets me at the airport but Diana Taurasi? Now, I just want to say to you, I've had 20 coaching jobs. I never had a player meet me at the airport. <laughs> Can you imagine Kareem or Magic meeting me in L.A. and say, welcome, coach? <laughs> so, uh, And what Diana was trying to say to me was, now that you're our new coach, treat us like the guys. That's what she said to me. She said, treat us, give us all the drills. Don't water anything down. And I didn't. And not surprisingly, halfway through that season, it wasn't working. We were losing. And if you were coaching guys, they would give up on you. And she came to me and said, if you hang in, we'll hang in. I said, okay. The following season, we win a championship, and coincidentally, in Detroit against Bill Lambeer, who had a very, very good team. And we were fortunate enough to win in game six. When it comes to coaching the women's team like that, I know in the combat sports they always say when a woman walks into the gym, she always gives her best because she has so much more to prove. Did you kind of find that in the WNBA as well? That Not that men dog it or something like that because we know how hard they work, but did you find that the women basically came and brought it every single day, every t- every single time they were out on the court? Yeah, I I wouldn't necessarily make that distinction. I think that's a quality of very good players. So, I mean, Kareem brought it every day. Diana Taurasi brought it every day. Uh, Hank Gathers, Bo Kimball brought it every day. But the difference that I found between coaching men and women is the women follow the scheme more exactly. So I would put in my fast break and five games into the season, win or lose, 10 games into the season, win or lose, they were following the scheme. In the NBA, if you're after 10 games, if you're three and seven, your players are going to uh, not follow the system. They're going to say, this isn't working, coach. Try something else or let's get another coach. You've mentioned Kareem a couple times. Where would he fit in today's game with it being so heavy on the three-point line? Because certainly in his era, he was one of, if not the most dominant players that there was. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, You know, you can compare Kareem to Anthony Davis the way that he can play inside and rebound and, and score inside. But Davis is like a classic 25, 30-foot shooter. I don't know if Kareem would ever adjust to that. But I will say the opposite. Kareem is so good that teams would adjust to him. Like if you had Kareem and he didn't want to shoot 30-footers, you'd let him shoot the ball inside. I mean, he's that good. Uh, So I think Kareem wouldn't have to change his game. I think people would change their game for him. So, Paul, let me ask you, why don't more coaches try to commit to the system? Is it just because it's too hard? Because when you're recruiting athletes, the first thing that they say is, hey, are we going to be up-tempo? We know every kid coming out of junior high to high school, they they want to run, and they want to play for a coach that can get uh, have their teams get up and down the floor. But we haven't seen other coaches commit to it like you did what's the main reason 
Well, here, here it is in a nutshell. Uh, I mean, you have it. Players want to run. You may recruit some of them, you know, thinking that they want to run. But when you start practice as a fast-break coach and you're tough on it and you're following it, after about a week or ten days, they don't want to run. Uh, so uh, a lot of coaches begin to adjust. They say, well, if, if my team doesn't really want to run, I better put some plays in. And once you start putting plays in, then you go slower. And then when you go slower, then you need to have more plays to counter the slow plays that you put in. So you get stuck. So the only way to do this is to play faster. And th- most teams won't follow. They'll crack uh, and therefore you get stuck. But every once in a while, like LMU and like the Phoenix Mercury, uh, it's a thing of beauty because they just kept running and kept smiling and kept winning. There he is, the guru of go, the inventor of the system, the fast-breaking style of basketball that so many people love to watch. Paul Westhead joins us, and Paul's got a book out, The Speed Game, My Fast Times in Basketball, available on Amazon. Talk a little bit about this, Paul. Is it kind of a continuation or a spinoff, so to speak, of what we saw in the ESPN 30 for 30? And what got you to pen this book? Yeah, I think it's a little bit like that, but it's more uh, some details about, you know, the the good and the bad, the, the good, you know, the winning, uh, like at LMU, that was great. But there were a lot of downtimes, you know, uh, going to coaching the Chicago Bulls and and getting fired after your first season and, right. uh, you know, and, and the, all the disappointments and the, and the losing, you know, as I mentioned, I, I had 20 jobs and I got fired in 14 of them. So, uh, there's a lot of downside, uh, if you're going to try and play fast and stick to a system, but I just wanted to be able to put down in words, the, the system works and when it does, it's beautiful. And, Sometimes uh, you got to back up and move. Uh, my wife wasn't very happy a lot of the times. <laughs> All right. Well, we look forward to diving into this book, The Speed Game, My Fast Times in Basketball by Paul Westhead, uh, available at Amazon. All right, my friend, great visiting with you today. Hopefully we can catch up with you again. Thanks, Steve. Just a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take right. care. There he is, Paul Westhead, right. the guru of go nashville hot chicken bold pork sandwiches award-winning vietnamese wings and plenty of ice cold craft brews just a taste of what you'll find at block 16 urban food hall at the cosmopolitan of las vegas six hand-picked restaurants from foodie capitals across the country fresh flavors world-renowned chefs and a lively atmosphere draw you in from donuts to hand rolls to everything in between grab go and get back to the game block 16 urban food hall at the cosmopolitan Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Paul, after homework, it's time to do chores. I'm tired, Dad. Can I please do them later? Yeah, that's fine, and I'll take a selfie with my Freddy's Steak Burger. What? You're going to Freddy's? Yes. I'm done, Dad. I'd do anything to go to Freddy's. Freddy's Frozen Custard Steak Burgers, now with four locations in the valley. Two in Henderson on Warm Springs and Julia Road, and Eastern near Silverado Ranch, and two in Las Vegas at Charleston and Decatur, and its newest location on Rainbow and Russell. Freddy's, the taste that brings you back. 
Betting has never been easier, and you can earn free money when you sign up today for a new William Hill Nevada mobile sports account. Earn a $50 bonus when you deposit $50 or more using promo code TC50. That's promo code TC50. The William Hill Nevada mobile sports app allows you to bet from any iPhone, iPad, or Android device anywhere in Nevada. With the largest wagering menu, the mobile sports app features live in-play betting as well. Sign up today. For more information, visit williamhill.us. That's williamhill.us. This is T.C. Martin, and there is no better time to get your carpets clean than now, and that means it's time to call Zero Res. Vote of the best in Las Vegas. Zero Res is the only carpet cleaning service I use. The results are amazing. They clean and disinfect all areas of your home using their patented power water system. And most importantly, they are safe. No one cleans like Zero Res. They deep clean all surfaces, including carpets, rugs, tile, and upholstery. They are the most trusted carpet cleaner in Las Vegas. Plus, the deals are amazing. Call now and ask for the T.C. Martin Special. Three rooms of carpet for only $99, plus free tile cleaning of up to 100 square feet. Your home will never look better. Make that appointment and save. Call or go to ZeroRes.com. That's Z-E-R-O-R-E-Z.com. Call 840-3333. When you're having pain or discomfort, see the pros at Total Sports Medicine. Dr. Joseph Yu is one of the leading orthopedic surgeons and is the UNLV team doctor. Total Sports Medicine is your sports injury specialist. With treatment for shoulders, hips, and knees, specializing in ACL and meniscus tears, shoulder injuries, collarbones, and more. Call Total Sports Medicine at 702-475-4390 or go to dryu.com. For complete care, trust the pros at Total Sports Medicine, your sports injury specialist. Introducing the best European-style deli in Las Vegas. It's Cured and Way, Serving the best gourmet artisan sandwiches, imported cheeses, and charcuterie from around the world. Along with soups, salads, and more, you can also enjoy fantastic selections of beer and wine. Cured and Way also caters and will create custom cheese boards for any event. Cured and Way, located at 6265 South Valley View near Post Road. See the menu at curedandway.com. Cured and Way, your gourmet specialty food source. It's Wunderbar. Hey, Frank, what are you doing? Just a little dentistry. My tooth is killing me. Here, take this string and tie it around that door handle. What? Just do it now. I don't think this is a good idea. And shut the door on your way out. Visit the friendly staff and professionals at Dr. Weinman's Green Valley location. For more info, go to WeinmanDental.com. That's W-I-N-E-M-A-N Dental.com. Why didn't you just go to Dr. Weinman? He's the best. Now you're telling me. This is T.C. Martin along with Ballpark Frank taking the next couple days off for Thanksgiving. That's right. Have yourself a happy, healthy, safe Thanksgiving. And after all the football and everything else, we're going to have a lot to cover on Monday. That's right. So join us 2 p.m. Monday. Have a great weekend. DCMartinShow.com. All right, we hear that song. We know what that means. That means we are either in South Bend, Indiana, celebrating a Notre Dame victory, or Steve Berline is joining the program. And since we're not in South Bend, we're in Las Vegas. That must mean that the quarterback is joining us now. What is going on, number seven, number three, number 10, number 13? Any other numbers that I missed along the way? 
<laughs> well, that's a few too many. I, it was always number seven. That's, always. I'm just giving you a except, bad time. W- except when I was in Denver. Yep. They wouldn't give me number seven for some reason. I don't know why, but they wouldn't give it to me in Denver. Oh, uh, so I had to win number 11. So that was it. So did you go 7-11 just because you were a Vegas type of a guy or you just enjoy Slurpees? I mean, why'd you go 11? It, I, I think I think it was, I mean, I, I, I think the play had to be it was more of a Vegas thing. I was like, if I can have seven, I got to go 11. You know, seven come 11, let's go, baby. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought I was, a, I was not a big, I never have been a big craps player, but uh, it just seemed like a natural move for me, so. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed that you went with seven eleven because you always found the open receiver. Oh, well. <laughs> do you know what? That, 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 you can go with that one, too. You can always go with that one, too. <laughs> Steve Berline, CBS Sports, uh, joins us now. and We talk a little uh, college football, a little NFL. Let's talk about the Irish. You came on the program last week, and I raise a question. Hey, Steve, could the Irish maybe have a little bit of a letdown after that huge victory against Clemson? You go no way in the world, even though we knew BC's quarterback, the former Notre Dame fighting Irish, you know, backup, you know, had a lot in his mind. But for the most part, this was no contest. You were right, my friend, no problem for the Irish. Well, I would have been disappointed if Tennessee wouldn't have been ready to play that game. You know, with uh, the veterans on that team, that have got a, a, good, a good amount of senior players that are that are uh, you know in in positions of leadership and that are um, you know they're impact players, and so they they realize how how hard it is to get to that position where you really have an opportunity to do something that you dream about and that you talk about and you train for your whole life, and so. Uh, combined with the message I'm sure they were getting from Brian Kelly, uh, I don't think there was any way that uh, the veterans and the, the older players on that team were going to allow that that to happen. They weren't going to let them get trapped. They weren't going to let them get caught napping. Um, they realized that they, they cannot uh, screw this opportunity up, and I was impressed. Yeah, and it seems like you know Notre Dame, they passed every test. Again, the big victory against Clemson. They survive a letdown situation against a pretty good Boston College team. And it really does look like the Irish are going to run the table the rest of the way and probably you know have that rematch against Clemson for the ACC championship game. When you, when you look ahead, Steve, you, you look at you know Clemson on a neutral field and then maybe the potential of playing Alabama. That's always been the knock with Notre Dame. We talked about it before, about not being able to knock off these teams. We see they can handle Clemson. How do you think they fare against Alabama? Well, first off, I think we know it to uh, Mac Brown in, in North Carolina and what he's done there uh, to, to not take them too lightly. That's, that's going to be a big game in Chapel Hill. Uh, coming up in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, Mac Brown, I did the Clemson game last year. They should have beat Clemson in North Carolina last year. They, I, I was doing that game on radio, and uh, the only reason they didn't win that game was because they just didn't know how to win it. They had every opportunity to do it. They, they played harder. They played better. Uh, and I was really impressed. So they're going to get North Carolina's best uh, effort in a couple weeks for sure. And that'll be that'll be the game that you know you really got to make sure that you don't screw it up there. Um, and then ten, again, you know, Clemson, they were without Trevor Lawrence, and they were without uh, uh, three starters on defense. And so, and, and, and Clemson is going to be highly motivated because of what happened uh, a couple weeks ago. And 
um, you know, understanding what it means for them. They're going to, they're going to come out ready to play in that ACC championship game. So I don't think for, and he, you weren't saying this at all, but that's going to be a huge battle um, and one that's going to provide every challenge that they could ever possibly hope for. And then, you know, you look to the playoffs if they're able to get through that. And then it's Alabama, yeah. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to uh, really, you know, give a, an opinion on that game. Although I do know this: Notre Dame looked every bit as strong, if not stronger, than Clemson. They looked every bit as fast, if not faster, than Clemson. So, to me, that says that they can, you know, they can hang with anybody. If they're as strong and as fast as Clemson, they can hang with anybody. So, I think we'll match up better than I can ever say before. In the previous years, I felt like there was no way Notre Dame could match up with with those top four teams. But uh, this year, what I've seen, I think we can do it. Yeah, especially the offensive line. This seems to be just the strongest line that the Irish have had in quite some time. And again, predominantly a senior-laden offensive line as well, too. And Book is playing well. Yeah, all five starters are turning up front. They're all playing well. And that's saying a lot, by the way, because they've they've been known, obviously, for uh, offensive linemen and tight ends for the most part. And uh, uh, all five of their starters are back from last year. They're hungry. They're nasty uh, in a good way, you know, nasty from the standpoint of uh, they, they know how to get after people and, and, uh, and finish plays off. And uh, they like keeping their quarterback clean. Um, they, they like controlling that line of scrimmage. They take a lot of pride in it. So that's, that's a huge deal. And, and the big thing, as you mentioned, uh, is I think the development of Ian Book. If there's ever been a knock on Kelly uh, and the Irish program, it's been that they have not been able to develop any quarterbacks uh, during his tenure there at all. And earlier in the year, uh, you know, Ian Book was not playing at a consistently high level. Um, you know, he played very average a couple of the early games. But the way that he played against Clemson and the way that he uh, played this past week against Boston College, uh, I think his confidence is high. I think he's understanding, you know, what he's capable of and uh, that he needs to play at that level for this team to to win those big games. So uh, I'm really impressed with what Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, is doing as well. They're starting to really, uh, it appears they're starting to really get on the same page. So uh, that's exciting to see for the first time in a while. All right, Steve Berline, the former Notre Dame fighting Irish quarterback, a longtime NFL quarterback veteran, and uh, does a fantastic job on the CBS Sports Network as well, NFL side and the college side. Steve, let's transition to the NFL. Let's talk about one of your former team, the Raiders. Uh, they got a huge game coming up Sunday night. The Raiders have now won three in a row. It is a revenge game for the Chiefs. And I'm sure you've probably heard about the, the story, as I like to call it today, is Busgate. Uh, the Raiders taking a victory lap around Arrowhead Stadium. Obviously, you've been in those buses. Uh, you've been in situations like this before. This This seems like kind of an unprofessional move of a team going into a stadium and saying, hey, let's take a victory lap on our way to the airport. Have you been part of anything like that or any stories that you can share with us outside of maybe a, a Pop Warner football game after you guys are so excited and you're going to go have some ice cream? Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I can't uh, openly share anything like that ever happening. Uh, but, <laughs> and, I, and I really, truly, uh, I have never heard of anything like that um it's amazing I, I guess they got the information from the bus driver i guess he's the come the guy that came out and said that is that correct yes yeah okay yeah so that's validated uh unless he's really just trying to stir it up and the Raiders probably haven't been talking about it at all but um you know 
it was a big win, obviously. And, uh, you know, you, you have to uh, – I'm surprised that Gruden would allow that to happen if it did happen uh, instead of just – you know, trying to come across with the attitude of, hey, man, this is what we're, this is what we've been working for. This is why we shouldn't be surprised. We should be, you know, we should be expecting to win these games against the big teams, and uh, let's let's build on it and let's get better. Let's do it again next time. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised that 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 did happen, um, and it'll be just a little something that will, it'll just pour a little extra, uh, you know, fire starter on that fire, a little uh, extra, you know, gas on the fire, and. and not that the Chiefs are going to need anything like that. It's a revenge game, as you said. Uh, they don't like losing at all. They, they hate losing at home. They're not used to it. Uh, they know the Raiders are trying to uh, build themselves as up-and-comers, and I'm sure they want to show them who the big bad boy on the block is, and uh, they're going to not need any extra motivation. So to me, that was not a very smart move uh, because you don't want to give them any extra motivation. So. We'll see how it plays out. I, you know, the Raiders are going to play too. Uh, I just would hate to, um, you know, catch the Chiefs at this time or in a revenge type of a scenario, healthy and uh, and with a lot to with a lot to uh, motivate them. Um, when, when you're talking about the Raiders right now, and certainly some people think that maybe they're a little bit ahead of schedule as far as how good they're playing at this point. Where do you assess this team at right now? And once you do start to win and you start believing in yourself that much more, how much does that help a team from the mental standpoint going out, not instead of thinking that we have a chance to win, but expecting to win every week? Yeah, that, that's, that's a huge deal, and I think that's the biggest deal in the NFL because every team has talented players. Now, obviously, there's only a certain number of superstar players and, and, and guys that are at that next level, the Patrick Mahomes level, and you can think about every position who the top two or three guys are. But the, the bottom line is that when you catch a team that is as good and, uh, and young uh, and hungry and, uh, and they start believing that they can play with anybody uh, and that they shouldn't take a second, a backseat to anybody, that's where you start seeing that separation and that, that next step of, of uh, evolution. And I think the Raiders are at that point now. I, I've told you guys before, I, I expected them to get to at least 500 this year. I thought they were going to be a 500 team, maybe maybe 9-7. and seven. And, you know, if they, if they got hot like that right now, potentially maybe a 10-win team. But I really was expecting eight or nine wins out of, out of the Raiders and just knocking on that playoff door. But they've got a great opportunity right now. And uh, even if they lose this game, they're too, you know, there's, a, there's going to be a good opportunity for them to get to 10 wins. And that should get them in, you would think. And, uh, it's too early to tell right now for sure, but that, that would be a phenomenal achievement, a phenomenal accomplishment. It would definitely put them ahead of schedule, I think, from most people's perspective. But uh, I wouldn't be overly surprised because I like what they've been doing. I like what John Gruden's been doing in Mayock, and I thought the Khalil Mack trade we've talked about, I thought it was the best trade in the NFL since the Herschel Walker trade. Uh, I, I think it was absolutely brilliant. And, uh, and it allowed them to get to this point that they're at much quicker, much more quickly than they would have if they would have kept Khalil Mack. So uh, I think they're doing all the right things, and, and they got a chance to, to really um, you know, shake it up this year, and I'm excited for them. Which team would you be more concerned about right now, the Baltimore Ravens or the Seattle Seahawks? Oh, okay, concerned about from the standpoint of what's going on with them. Yeah, uh, uh, I would, I would say – I'm more concerned about the Baltimore Ravens um, because 
the, you know, the, even though they have Lamar Jackson, who is a special, special quarterback, uh, he's not Russell Wilson in terms of the different things that he can do to hurt you. Um, and the body of work with Russell Wilson is, is much more significant. Um, you know, I, I like the Ravens' defense. I like their running game. But it just seems like right now uh, the Ravens are having a hard time figuring out how to attack offensively, um, how to find ways to allow Lamar Jackson to do the things he does best and get that running game going. And uh, it's just a little bit concerning to me. I've got a lot of confidence in Greg Roman. I know him very well, the offensive coordinator. Uh, I think they will get it turned around and get hot before this season ends and before the playoffs start. Uh, but I, I also believe that, that Russell Wilson, you know, he, he's had his wake-up call now. He's had three bad games in the last four weeks, and he is going to be – you could tell by what he was saying in that press conference after the game that he is eager to get out there and show how great he is and, uh, you know, set the record straight. So um, I think I think both teams will get it figured out, but I think I'm, I'm less concerned about Seattle. I want to throw one more team in there, and it's not because of inconsistent or poor play from the quarterback – because of the injury, the New Orleans Saints right now, with the injury to Drew Brees, we hear that he's got um, some fractured ribs, the collapsed lung. How much does he mean to that team? And how soon can he realistically come back from those injuries that would have most of us laying in a hospital bed or something? Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, you know, that you could, as you watch that hit, um, you can start to see how that could happen, uh, just the way that he was slammed into the ground and the fact that uh, that defensive lineman had his fist kind of buried in that rib cage and all that compression coming down on those ribs. It's a, you know, uh, it, it was a very, very, uh, you know, obviously dangerous and uh, difficult hit, to, hit to, for him to take and the damage is, speaks for itself. But um, I, I truly think that, that Sean Payton, will allow Drew Brees to get healthy, as healthy as possible. Um, and that'll be a good, you know, four weeks, I think, at least, maybe even uh, five. And obviously it'll depend on how Jameis Winston does. Uh, I really expect Sean Payton to, to do a great job with Jameis Winston getting him pre prepared. Uh, and I think Jameis, he's got all the skills in the world to be a really good NFL quarterback. And I think with the way that Sean Payton's going to coach him up uh, and is going to make him understand we've got a great football team, the only thing you cannot do is turn the football over. And if you want to find your butt on the bench, throw a few interceptions and we'll work with Taysom Hill. And I think, I think, I really believe that Jameis Winston is going to get that message and he's going to have kind of a Teddy Bridgewater type of an experience where he's going to get a chance to resuscitate his career. I, I said that after uh, he got released by Tampa Bay last year. I said, this kid's going to get a chance to play again and he's good enough to play at this level, obviously. Uh, it's just got to, it's just got to, you know, start making sense in terms of how important it is to protect the football. Um, and I think he's going to get that opportunity. He could not have picked a better spot to end up. Uh, I was really impressed with his decision to go to New Orleans because uh, this is exactly what he was hoping for, this opportunity. All right, Steve Berline talking with us, and we're talking about the quarterback position. Steve, I'm going to throw this one at you, all right? Which quarterback do you think – is best when his team is losing. And the reason why I ask you this is because I think that's how you really judge 
a quality quarterback or who's the best quarterback in the NFL. And obviously it's not Lamar Jackson because we see how hard it is for him and his team to play from behind. But who would be that guy for you? And it could be more than one guy. But uh, put you on the spot here. Which quarterback is best when his team is losing? Well, I think uh, – well, first off, I wouldn't put this guy as the best, but we've seen over the years in Super Bowls what Tom Brady can do from behind. Uh, so that that's a guy that you always – you can't disregard him. But I think in this, this day and age, uh, the guys that can play that kind of helter-skelter, run around and make things happen are the most dangerous in those kind of situations. So uh, even though he doesn't have a whole big body of work, I'd put Kyler Murray at the top of that right now. Uh, along with Russell Wilson, um, that when your team is down, who can make it? Who can make it up quickest? And uh, I think those are the two guys that jump out immediately to me. Um, and and then of course you, know, you got to have you got to put a guy like Aaron Rodgers in there, uh, Matthew Stafford, because of, of the uh, the ability they have to just make all of the throws and to use the the whole field when when they get in a situation where they don't care and they're just going to throw and just try to make throws. Uh, those guys are really dangerous. And, and, of course, even a guy like a young guy like Josh Allen, what he showed to me the other day was incredible development. Yeah, he made some bad throws. He made some bad decisions. But, man, he made some great plays. And, and that kid, I absolutely love that kid. And, and I think he's going to be a great quarterback for a lot of years to come as well. You mentioned great quarterbacks for a lot of years to come, and everybody knows about Mahomes, who's still a young quarterback out there. Who are some of the other young quarterbacks that you think? Oh, by the that... way, let, let, let me put Patrick Mahomes in there too. I yeah, forgot. I was going to say yeah, I... uh, that was under that was understood. I think. So, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. I apologize. Yeah. No, no, no. It, it definitely was. But what I was going to say is there any, is there anybody else? Because there's a lot of talk about Herbert and Josh Allen and them. Is there anybody that you think that you look at and you go, "Wow, this guy's really going to be something when he gets the game even a little bit more." Uh, you know, I think you, you mentioned all the guys right now. I mean, Tua is just getting started and. Uh, he's, he's looking. He's making it look pretty easy, even though they're not asking him to do a lot. He looks so composed and so, uh, you know, so well prepared. Uh, I really am surprised. I, I thought it was a mistake to put him in uh, because of the health reasons. I thought they should have just let him sit for this year to eliminate all those concerns. But uh, they're making me look like I don't know what I'm talking about. So I've been very impressed. Justin Herbert, same thing. They, he. You know, he's been knocking on the door every single week. They haven't quite found a way to, to get over the hump yet. Not his fault. Uh, they've had a lot of bad luck, a lot of balls dropped, uh, a lot of bad penalty calls, a lot of just things working against them right now. But I really believe that Anthony Lynn and the Chargers have a great thing in this kid, and, um, you know, hopefully they'll have a chance to see it through uh, despite all the pain they're going through right now with these tough losses. But the quarterback, the state of affairs for the quarterback position, it looks like it's in really good hands and really good shape for many years to come with all these young guys playing so well. Yeah, all right, my friend. Hey, appreciate the time as always. We'll let you get back to it. Uh, if I don't talk to you next week, have a happy Thanksgiving, you and the family, and we'll catch up very, very soon. All right, same to you guys. Take care. Matthew Holt from uh, U.S. Integrity uh, joins us. Matt, let's do a little bit of a look ahead here to the weekend, uh, and let's start with any of the games that you like on Thanksgiving. Obviously, the marquee matchup is going to be the turkey night game with Baltimore and Pittsburgh. 
of the undefeated Steelers against the struggling Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, look, and that's assuming that game gets played, right? We're hearing all kinds of COVID issues right now for Baltimore. And as bad as they're struggling, I'm not sure they're going to be in any rush to try to play that game. Um, And even if they do, who's going to be on the field? It's not going to be J.K. Dobbins. It's not going to be Mark Ingram. So it's going to be a drastically depleted backfield for the Baltimore Ravens, it might be worth taking a shot on the Pittsburgh Steelers minus four right now. And if they do end up playing the game, no Dobbins, no Ingram, probably several other players will have to sit out due to contract tra- uh, contact tracing. It could be a really advantageous spot for the Pittsburgh Steelers on a game that could go off as high as six, six and a half points. You might be able to lay four now early in the week. Wait a minute. Taking away my, my Thanksgiving night game? Forget the turkey. Can you imagine what this, and seriously, what this would mean if you didn't have this Thursday night football game on Thanksgiving night? Everyone's going to be wanting to, to see a game, especially this game. I know, but the level of players that have already wow. been announced out. I mean, we talked about it. Dobbins, Ingram, defensive tackle, Brandon Williams for the Ravens. Um, these things have a way sometimes with the contra- contact tracing of, of elevating very quickly. Certainly something worth keeping an eye on this week. It, at the very least, we know it's going to be a depleted Baltimore Ravens team. So you're telling me that we might get Washington-Dallas, which isn't what it used to be in the past. And then how does Houston become the opponent of the Lions this year? It was always a black and blue division game. No, it rotates. Yeah, I don't know if we want to see that, but yeah, it's it, you're right, Frank. I mean, usually you'll see a Packers Lions or a Bears Lions. You've seen that, but uh, I think it kind of alternates a little bit too with the Cowboys because sometimes the Cowboys will play an a- AFC team because got to remember CBS has to have a game and Fox has to have a game. And, but I get that. But yeah. at least the Cowboys and that I mean they're historic. Houston. And the Lions? I bet if we did some homework, you'd see this isn't that much of a crazy occurrence, I would think. You know? Maybe they want turkey for breakfast? I don't well, I mean, how the turducken? You're going to your night game no matter what. New Mexico Air Force, who are, I mean, New Mexico versus Utah State starting at 4, thir- I mean, 4 o'clock Pacific time. That could end up being our night game. Those two teams are combined 0-8. Yeah, great. <laughs> and, you know, we, we used to have the Egg Bowl, you know, Mississippi, Mississippi State on Thanksgiving. We go Texas, Texas A&M was a long-time tradition. Uh, who knows what uh, we're going to get. All right, looking ahead, uh, Raiders got to go on the road to Atlanta. Uh, what do you think? Uh, Atlanta didn't show up against Taysom Hill and the Saints, but a little look ahead to the Raiders going on the road here as a three-point road favorite. Tricky spot. You know, nothing like going across the country west to east early after such a difficult loss. Um, you know, teams rebound differently off those losses, you know. Um, you know, those tough losses where you feel like you're going to win, scary for me. And the fact that they're laying three now, if that ends up going to three and a half, could you lay three and a half right now on the road with the Raiders off a demoralizing loss? I don't think I could. I'd probably end up on the Falcons. Yeah, um, it, it, it's it's hard to say, but are there any other games that, that do stick out to you this week on the docket? You know, Indianapolis Colts, a four-point favorite at home against the Tennessee Titans. Look, I, I get first places on the line, both teams playing well, Tennessee coming off yet another big win. But I can't believe how much disrespect this Tennessee Titans team continues to get in the betting market. This feels like a pick game, period. There's still no fans in the stands. Home field can't be more than a point, a point and a half, so... 
at this point we're saying the Colts are a field goal better than the Titans? I don't think so. I'm probably going to be on the Tennessee Titans plus the four points. You know, we're talking about Sunday be, Sunday night football, NBC being the marquee game the way it was last night with the Raiders and the Chiefs. See what our game is, Frank? It's Packers and the Bears. And talk about the Packers coming off a loss. What a better spot for the Packers to go take care of business against your Bears. I mean, this is this this is easy money right here, Frank. I'm telling you. Well, don't bet the house. <laughs> go Pack, go! Well, there it is at Lambo. You gotta love it. You got Sunday night football. That's not a marquee game. Well, I guess it is. Yes, if- it is. It's still a marquee game, and the Bears were playing well until reality struck a few weeks ago. <laughs> and I'm hearing some rumors that with Nick Foles banged up with that hip injury, it's possible if Mitchell Trubisky's shoulder uh, is okay, we could see the return of Mitchell Trubisky on Sunday night football. Oh, boy, there you go, Frank. There I just is. hope the defense shows up right. to play. Because if the Bears have any chance to win, the defense has to play great. And if Rodgers plays like he did yesterday, you know, where he's opening up his own bakery with the turnover shop and everything, maybe something will happen. The Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas is a unique luxury resort, hotel, and casino in the heart of the Las Vegas Strip. Be part of the action in the 24-hour bar, table games, and walls of the HD LED TVs in the Cosmopolitan Sportsbook. The Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas is the place to dine out and have fun. Check out restaurants and bars like Blue Ribbon Las Vegas, Egg Slut, and Quick Bar and Lounge. And the best entertainment headliners at the Chelsea. Learn more about the dynamic resort and casino at CosmopolitanLasVegas.com. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers now has a new location on Rainbow near Russell Road. All the great Freddy's favorites are back, including the delicious steak burgers, patty melts, Chicago dogs, and the best frozen custard and sundaes. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers, now with four locations in the Valley. Two in Henderson on Warm Springs and Julia Road, and Eastern near Silverado Ranch, and two in Las Vegas at Charleston and Decatur, and its newest location on Rainbow and Russell. Freddy's, the taste that brings you back. Betting has never been easier, and you can earn free money when you sign up today for a new William Hill Nevada mobile sports account. Earn a $50 bonus when you deposit $50 or more using promo code TC50. That's promo code TC50. The William Hill Nevada mobile sports app allows you to bet from any iPhone, iPad, or Android device anywhere in Nevada. With the largest wagering menu, the mobile sports app features live in-play betting as well. Sign up today. For more information, visit williamhill.us. That's williamhill.us. What's up, Nick? What up? Let's go shoot some uh, hoop at the park. Oh, man, I can't. My knee's acting up real bad today. What? From that last time I took you with my awesome crossover? Yeah, right. Nah, it's from when I played high school basketball. Dude, that's no good. You got to see my guy, Dr. U, at Total Sports Medicine. Check him out at totalsportsmedicine.com. That way, you can stop making excuses about your game. Yeah, right. What's that website again? It's so simple. For any of your injury ailments, go to totalsportsmedicine.com. 